and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning that you're going to want to check out. Don't forget to also follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Now, today's episode is going to be great. Our first segment, Does Your Dog Have Anxiety? Yeah, we're going to answer that question today and maybe learn how to go about starting to deal with some of that anxiety. Then we'll have a segment called Dogs of the Ancient World. Yes, one of our recurring segments that we have from time to time. And we'll be talking about the dogs of ancient Persia. Then we'll have the Breed of the Week followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, hey, keep them coming at me. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Whether it's training-related, dog-related, any general animal questions, send them on over. Yes. But before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what is the loudest insect in the world? Yes, what is the loudest insect in the world? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, does your dog have anxiety? Yeah, we're going to be talking about anxiety today. And, you know, I've talked about anxiety before, but it's been a hot minute. Time to rehash on it, you know? There is a lot that goes into dogs and anxiety and the reasons why and how we fix it and all this kind of stuff. But I'm going to try to kind of break this down and make it as simplistic as possible because I think at the end of the day, getting your dog over anxiety and anxiety issues are relatively simple, at least on paper. (laughs) Putting it into application as a person with feelings, maybe not the easiest thing then, but we're, we're going to talk about that. So anxiety and dogs, you know, when we're talking about anxiety today, we're going to be talking about the undesired types of anxiety that we don't like necessarily. We don't want our dogs to be feeling, you know, insecurity or fearful, or those are the kind of anxiety, anxious behaviors for the most part. But we'll also kind of talk about other anxious behaviors, like maybe controlling or possessive behaviors that also fall on the spectrum of anxiety. Okay. So Anxiety shows itself in different forms and dogs end up displacing their anxiety in a lot of different ways. And so we have to, the first thing we have to do is, of course, be able to recognize what does anxiety look like in a dog, right? And, you know, interestingly enough, recently I've had quite a few clients uh, just just very recently um, that I've just started working with where we have a wide variety of anxious issues going on uh, just between these dogs. And, you know, I've got one who she's a little bit younger, but she is a rescue from the Bahamas, a pot cake dog, spent her life on the streets and clearly had some maybe a traumatizing experience. She's terrified of the world around her. And, we, and, and you know, we got to build some confidence in her. Then I have another one who, you know, she's, uh, owners had her had the dog for a couple of years and he's a little guy and he's maybe a little bit too confident with other dogs, too confident even greeting people. He's very controlling with everything he does to a point of obsessiveness, you know, um, over toys, over, over everything. So we've got to tamper some of that overconfidence down a little bit. We don't want to 
um, you know, we don't want to reduce who he is as a, as a dog. We want to keep his personality, but it's learning how to teach him how to control his control <laughs> how to show him that he doesn't have to always be so over controlling, but that is an anxious behavior. He's obsessive about control. Then I have another dog, uh, who's a bit older and the owner had had him, had him since he was a little puppy, but you know, quote unquote, spoiled him for years and a lot of anxious behaviors developed, separation anxiety like you wouldn't believe. And of course, they just had a baby recently. Congratulations, guys. Um, but unfortunately, it really amplified, amplified like you wouldn't believe a lot of these undesired behaviors in their dog. Um, so the anxiety is really coming out more than ever. So this is kind of an, an appropriate segment because we've got to talk about this, right? This 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 anxiety and dog. So it can manifest in different ways. And that's the first, like I said, it's kind of where we have to start is being able to recognize what does anxiety look like in a dog? Now, it manifests in a lot of different things, right? Um, it can be as simple as separation anxiety, where a dog, obviously, you know, we know what that is. We don't like it. Dog doesn't like it when you leave. Or the dog can be even worse, where it doesn't like it when anybody leaves. If anybody get, you have guests over and all of a sudden your guests get up and to walk out and the dog will start barking and trying to control, that's a common one. That's a control one, but it's a common one. Uh, I've heard of that quite a few times. Um, how about dogs that get the spins? Somebody comes to the door, they get so excited, they start spinning and they can't stop. It's obsessive. Anxiety, right? It's displacing that anxiety and that, so there's different ways that we can see it. But now some of these behaviors, something like spinning, you know, unfortunately, guys, a lot of people are going to look at them and go, oh my gosh, it's so cute. It's so funny. It's so silly. It is cute. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's right. And that doesn't mean it's a healthy behavior. Look, I always say any obsessive behavior is not a good thing. It's not. I don't care if you're a person, a dog, a cat, a bird. It doesn't matter. Anything obsessive behaviorally is not a good thing, okay? Um, so something like spinning, I don't want to encourage that in my dog, okay? How about barking? Barking is probably one of the more common obsessive behaviors I hear. You know, the doorbell rings or somebody comes in and the dog won't stop barking. Even when they come inside, it'll keep barking for five minutes after the guests are there. It takes the dog 10 minutes to fully settle down. That's an obsessive, anxious behavior, Okay, so starting to recognize these things as maybe they're not so cute, <laughs> maybe it's not so adorable that they do these obsessive things, because it's, unfortunately, guys, it's not. You know, mentally, what that dog is telling us is there's some frustration that they're trying to alleviate. And while dogs are very smart, they're very simple-minded, and they're going to alleviate that stress in an unhealthy way. They'll displace it in an unhealthy, anxious, obsessive way. Okay. So again, that's the first thing we have to discuss. And the first thing I need you, you know, you get, you've got to recognize it as an owner, as a dog owner, you have to look at your dog's behavior and go, is this okay? Think about it. And look, I'm not one to humanize dogs. <laughs> Any of you that have listened to my podcast, you know, this, I don't like humanizing dogs for a slew of reasons that we won't get into today. But I, I sort of want you to think about it like a child, 
you know, am I going to be okay with my child spinning in circles and going, let's go, let's go, let's go. I want to go to the park. I want to go to the park. I want to, no, I don't want, I don't want to reinforce that behavior. Um, so think about it like that. Look, how about, how about the best, how about one of the most common ones about the dog park? Whenever my clients take their dogs to the dog park in the car, um, not whenever my clients, some of my clients, <laughs> it's a semi-common problem. There's a lot of excitement associated with the dog park, right? So when you start pulling up to the dog park and the dog knows you're close and they can hear the other dogs in the park barking, what do they do? They start barking uncontrollably, getting excited and losing their mind. I don't want my dog to have anxiety. Think about it like a little kid. When I pull into the playground and the kid is going, let's go, let's go. I want to go to the playground. And they're tugging on my shirt and they're jumping up and down and they're acting like a lunatic. I'm going to go, yeah, we're going to turn around and go home now. No, I'm not going to reinforce and strengthen that behavior, right? So not that I want you to humanize your dog, but think of of their behavior in terms of, is this something I would want a little kid to be doing? No, then don't reinforce that behavior because otherwise they're just going to keep being anxious. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Right now, I don't want to. I don't want to get off too much on positive and negative reinforcement because that'll be another five minutes onto this episode. So if you don't, if you're not familiar with the terminology of positive and negative reinforcement, uh, definitely go back and check out some of my old segments. There's some really great information on that, especially way back episode 15, uh, one of the first times I really in depth visited positive and negative reinforcement and those concepts. Uh, really important information there. But uh, what I want to get at right now, guys, is positive reinforcement. Just really quick, positive reinforcement kind of, I look at it as it sort of means keep doing that, keep doing that. So we would want to positively reinforce any desired behavior. I don't want to positively reinforce undesired behaviors though, right? You can, but you don't want to. So if my dog is being anxious, and and as we've also talked about on the show before, uh, dogs have a one-track mind. They can literally only focus on one thing at a time. So think of it like this. If I have a dog who's anxious and the dog is sitting here, like, let's say, you know, I'll just give the example of the the uh, the pot cake dog I'm working with. Like I said, she's very rightfully so nervous of any unfamiliar thing and everything around her. And at first she was a little nervous of me. I got her taking food, but she was a little unsure of me. Okay. And the thing is, if the owners came over and she's more comfortable with the owners and if the owners came over and started petting her and going, it's okay, it's okay, as she's nervous about me, it's actually only going to make her more nervous because their state of mind, because they have that single state of mind. So if a dog is nervous and you pet them, you're saying, keep doing that, keep doing that, keep being nervous, keep being nervous, keep being nervous, which is obviously not the message I want to convey to my anxious dog. Okay, so like I give the example of if my dog is is nervous about something and they come up and try to lean on me and lay on me and be, you know, obsessive about touching me, I'm not going to be mean, but I'm not going to start petting them. What I am going to do is I'm going to take their collar and guide them away from me and say, no. Now, if I've taught them like a go on command, great time for that. Hey, go on. Uh, But if not, no big deal. Grab the collar, guide them away and say, give me some space. I'll go back and I'll sit down where I was. The dog's going to get up and do it again. They're going to come back over to me. They're going to try it again. I'm going to pick up that collar, guide them. Four or five times of this, usually the dog goes, well, this isn't getting me anything, so forget it. I'll just go over here and lay down. 
Okay. So I don't want to reinforce them being anxious and needing to be up on me. Instead, well, I'm going to say, hey, little tough love. Nope. Give me some space. Leave me alone. And in, in a very tough love way, guys, it's, yeah, deal with it a little bit. Because if you don't teach them to deal with it, they won't. And they'll continue being anxious. Because if I let them lay on me and I pet them, all I'm saying is keep being anxious. Keep doing that. Okay, so I didn't want to dive off too much into reinforcement and that kind of stuff today, but it is a very, very important thing to note. And my client, look, my, the other side of it, my clients the other day um, with, with their newborn and their dog, they saw very crystal clear in a very short amount of time what not reinforcing and strengthening his anxious behaviors did. Providing a little bit of tough love, not allowing him to crawl up all on us and it was amazing how he finally kind of gave in and relaxed and ended up somewhat relaxing. It's going to take a little while to get him to fully relax, right? We got to break that old habit. And he's a little bit older, so it takes a little time. But the point is, he was doing, you know, his normal MO was let me bark and, and go nuts that I even see that baby, let alone hear that baby cry. I mean, woof, tough, guys. It was not an easy scenario beforehand. And again, with a little tough love and good information, I just tried to show him, hey, Give up on the baby and leave that alone and stop barking and you get food and praise. Try to be anxious, be barking, all that. You know, you're going to get a little tough love and you're going to move even further away from the baby. Okay. Again, we're not going to get too much into what the punishment is, what the reinforcement is in that scenario. Um, But the point is a little bit of tough love and the dog finally started realizing being anxious isn't getting me anything. But once I back off, once I lie down, once I relax, this guy gives me food and affection. Wait, this isn't so bad. I don't think I want to keep being anxious anymore because that doesn't get me anything. But relaxing, that keeps getting... Okay, then the dog starts making the connection of relaxation is what gets them something. Okay, so if you have an anxious dog at home, we have to start by recognizing the anxiety. Once we recognize the anxiety, almost always the next step is going to be a little tough love. Okay, tough Love, two important words, tough and love, because we're doing it because we love our pets and we want our pets to be happier. We want our pets to be healthier. And guys, I promise you, if your dog is anxious, that's not happier. That's not healthier. Okay. I'm, I'm telling you guys this coming from a place of love. It is because I love animals and I love dogs and I don't want them to be anxious right? And I don't think you as the owner want them to either. So you have to think about that. If you don't want them to be anxious, you have to provide a little tough love. It's just like being a parent. I am so grateful every day that my parents provided tough love for myself and my siblings. I really am so grateful for that. You know, Uh, Of course, they provided love without the tough part sometimes. Sometimes they provided the tough part without the love. No, I'm kidding. There was always love there. Uh, (laughs) So it's important to understand that you've got to, if you have a dog that's anxious, it takes a little tough love on your part to get them over that anxiety. It does. And what that tough love is from you is confidence. You need to give off confidence for your dog, not pity. Your dog views pity as weakness. I mean that in the nicest way possible, but it's, it, it's the truth, okay? Your dog views your pity as weakness, and then they cling to that weakness obsessively, and then they just become more obsessed and more anxious, and that's not what we want, 
right? That's not what we want. So again, it starts with recognizing these anxious behaviors in your dog and then learning how to not reinforce and strengthen anxious behaviors and instead strengthen and reinforce calm, relaxing behaviors. Now, one thing we haven't talked about yet is the exercise aspect, guys. Yes, exercise. I think without a doubt, that's probably the most important way to first go about curbing anxiety. Because the thing is, if a dog is not properly exercised, then they've got energy to spare. And if they've got energy to spare and they're anxious, man, they'll be anxious forever. You know, I, I look, if a dog is tired, they're like, I could be anxious about that, but uh, I'm kind of tired. Forget it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of truthful. But look, even, even human beings, even human beings, look, if we have anxiety or depression, what's always one of the best cures? Exercise and sunshine. It really is, guys. Um, and look, hey, we're all guilty of it, not getting enough of it, myself included. I do go for a lot of walks, but hey, need to do some runs, some crunches, and a lot of other stuff too. Um, but it's it's the truth, guys. It's one of the best ways to battle anxiety and depression for ourselves. So it, it holds true for your dog as well. I can't stress it enough. You have to walk your dogs every single day. You have to give them that proper walk to give them good mental and physical exercise. But really, anxiety, the best way to curb it in your dog to start with is going to be exercise. Even if you're already exercising your dog and your dog has anxiety issues, up the exercise, double it for a little while. I know, not what you want to hear, uh, <laughs> but it, it really goes a long way. So I can't stress it enough. Get some more exercise for your dog. It's really going to help alleviate that anxiety. Of course, got to give the plug again, proper walk. As I said, you've got to do a proper walk. If you don't know how to do the walk, go visit some, revisit some of my other segments. Uh, really good info in there. A lot of good stuff about how to properly walk your dog and create a good focus walk for your dog. Okay. So like I said, recognize the anxiety, tons of exercise, and then tough love. Once we recognize the anxiety, guys, it makes it so much easier to understand. Oh, look at that. I've been, ugh, I didn't even realize it. Inadvertently, I've been reinforcing that anxious behavior. Not going to do that anymore. And you'll be surprised just by taking that reinforcement away, your dog's going to all of a sudden go, whoa, I'm not getting anything for this anymore. What's the point of being anxious if I'm not getting anything out of it? Okay. You know, like I tell all my clients, dogs figure out, dogs, every animal on this planet figures out really fast what works for them and what doesn't. And unfortunately, like I've said, dogs are very smart. That's the fortunate part. Uh, but unfortunately, simplistic guys, they're very simplistic creatures. I mean, I don't know. Is that unfortunate? That's what makes a dog a dog. So is it unfortunate? No, they are what they are. And I think that's great. Um, <laughs> but no, very smart but very simplistic, okay? So unfortunately, dogs will make the wrong decision if they think it works for them. And unfortunately, in the human world, dogs don't tend to make the best decisions because there's a lot of variables around them they, that are foreign, that they can't control, and you know, that's where we get these behavioral issues. And that's what ends up happening, is the dogs end up overcompensating, trying to control things, and then they get into an obsessive thing, and then an anxiety, it just kind of snowballs. That's really what it just snowballs. Okay. Um, so again, recognize the anxiety, increase the amount of exercise and start with the tough love. Then we're going to be starting to understand, oh, I need to be reinforcing when they go and they lay down. Look, if your dog has anxiety, anytime they relax, especially you know, go on their own, they just go and lay down. You're going to go, hey, good boy, good girl. And that's it. Toss them a treat. Good boy, good girl. That's it. Anytime your dog relaxes, you're going to reinforce and strengthen it. 
Okay. Most dogs that have anxiety tend to fight relaxation because they, they're stuck in like a fight or flight mode, you know? And when they're stuck in that fight or flight mode, well, they don't want to relax because they're in fight or flight, right? So if your dog starts relaxing and they're an anxious dog and they start relaxing, be sure you're strengthening and reinforcing those behaviors. It's not just about, you know, it's not just about not reinforcing anxious behaviors. It's also about uh, reinforcing and strengthening calm behaviors, relaxed behaviors, okay? So when you see your dog relax, be sure you tell them good boy, good girl, and strengthen that behavior. That's also what's going to keep your dog relaxed, relax, you know? Um, dogs are very much, as I've said, I'm going to repeat it again, state of mind. So if you can start reinforcing and strengthening calm states of mind and not reinforcing and actually punishing by not reinforcing, punishing anxious states of mind, then that anxiety will decrease and the relaxation will increase. Okay. So, you know, the beginning of the segment, I said, I wanted to try to simplify this. And I think, I think we kind of did it there, right? It's, it, it's really a couple bullet points guys. And these bullet points take consistency and repetition. Getting rid of anxiety can take a few weeks. It can take a few months sometimes. Okay. Anxiety is one of those things where you can't push it. And it's really up to the dog on how fast we're going to proceed because we don't want to make them uncomfortable. But I promise you, if you start by recognizing and understanding what the anxiety looks like, increasing your dog's exercise, and then learning how to reinforce only relaxing behaviors and not reinforce anxious behaviors, man, your dog is going to come down off that anxiety so much faster. I promise, guys. So try to keep it simple. Go by that mantra that I always like to throw out there. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Hurts my feelings every time. Great advice. Uh, no, but in all reality, guys, this is, this is important stuff when it comes to anxiety. You've got to keep it simple. And you have to understand that you can't coddle, coddle your dog into comfort. I like that. You can't, I mean, I'm never have said, I like that. You can't coddle your dog into comfort. You can't. You can't pity them. You can't feel sorry for them. You have to be a source of strength and reinforce and strengthen relaxing, calm, and confident behaviors in your dog. Because that's what I want your dog to feel. I want your dog to feel calm and confident and not anxious. So think about those tips today. Always keep it simple. And of course, when in doubt with anxiety, Always increase your walks and exercise. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's Dogs of the Ancient World.
And today we're going to be featuring and talking about dogs of ancient Persia. And like many ancient cultures, of course, dogs in Persia were very highly valued, you know? Now, dogs were actually considered part wild, part human, part divine, and they were thought to be a gift from the gods. Now, dogs played an important aspect, uh, you know, in many, many different parts of Persian culture and Persian life. Now, this ranged from religious rituals to guard dogs to, you know, uh, herding, livestock herding. They used them in military operations. And of course, just everyday companionship, you know, just having a dog. That was a huge part of it as well. So, you know, dogs were held in high esteem. And Zoroastrian texts emphasize the importance of treating a dog with respect and high regard. And, you know, it was thought as how one treated a dog would actually directly affect whether or not they were rewarded in the afterlife. Now, the Persians' love of the dog was so well known that their enemies would use this love against them. Now, when conquering Muslims invaded... They threatened the dogs in order to get the Persian civilians to surrender. And as with any new religious and political system in an attempt to dominate the population, dogs were then portrayed as evil and unclean animals. And, you know, they went as far as banning people from even owning dogs. Now, unfortunately, this mentality does continue today. You know, the Iranian government, unfortunately, they continue some of these policies that do target dog owners specifically. Now, as we know, you know, as we've learned on the show before, dogs have been domesticated for thousands and thousands of years. And Persia was one of the areas particularly known for some of the oldest dog breeds. And it was really a hotbed uh, for the creation and domestication process of modern dogs. And, you know, the Saluki was actually one of the dogs that was one of the most popular breeds among Persians written about and in and, 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 and art and everything. But there were many other breeds that were prevalent as well. Now, the Persian Sarabi Mastiff, the Kurdish Mastiff, and the Afghan Hound were also very well known to the Persians. Now, dogs played such an important part of everyday life for Persians that clear guidelines would, were laid out for Persian citizens on how they should best care and treat their dogs, you know? Uh, even strays, even stray dogs were to be fed and taken care of, especially, you know, if they came across a pregnant uh, stray dog. They were supposed to take that dog in, care for her, care for her puppies, and find homes for those dogs. So, really kind of cool. And, you know, when it came to feeding, when it came to feeding the dogs, the food that you were to feed your dog was supposed to be of equal or better quality than that of its master. Now, it was even stipulated that one should save three morsels from their daily meal as a gift to give to their dog, in addition to whatever else they had to eat that day. Now, other guidelines said that injured dogs needed to be taken in, taken care of, not only because it was the right thing to do, but in return for all the dogs had done for them. Now, it was believed that the dog was a gift from the deity, Ahura Mazda. Kind of funny, Ahura, little Star Trek reference there, <laughs> a little nerd moment, I know. Uh, but again, it was believed that the dog was a gift from this deity, Ahura Mazda, and in return, the Persians were to take great care of the dog. So it was a gift to them, and in return for that gift, they were to take the really good care of dogs and uh, make it man's best friend, right? Now, insulting the dog, insulting dogs was considered to bring a divine reprimand because it was presumed that the person was attempting to elevate themselves above the dog. Now, the dog established itself as an important part of the ancient Persian culture, you know, in religion and myth for practical uses in just about everyday life. The dog was present really in all aspects of that culture. Now, I, I really do. I always find it fascinating that 
these ancient cultures were just like us, right? They loved dogs. And in some ways, I think they held them in a higher regard, higher esteem, because they utilized the dog for what they are. A fantastic creature, an amazing, amazing animal that is so versatile. Uh, And that's what we find time and time again as we do these segments is that, you know, these cultures utilize dogs for their true purpose as well as that companionship. Um, So I always find that kind of almost comforting that there's always that human animal uh, bond and that, that little humanistic aspect to it. So pretty cool stuff learning about the Persians and their dogs today. The answer to today's trivia question What is the loudest insect in the world? It is the African cicada coming in at 107 decibels. That is almost as loud as a chainsaw. Now, coming in a close second place is the North American cicada at 106 decibels. And I can definitely attest from firsthand experience that those things are terribly loud. Uh, We were up and my wife and I went to the Blue Ridge Mountains last June and experienced that uh, wonderful horrible noise. (laughs) So yeah, those things do get loud. It's unbelievable. You know, if you do a little research on cicadas and the Europeans coming over to the Americas for the first time, the, uh, you know, the Native Americans tried to actually warn the Europeans that, hey, and you know, there's this 17 year cycle. And when it comes, the noise gets very loud and you're going to get very sick. Now, of course, the Europeans didn't think anything of it, thought they were full of it. And little did they know that the noise, yes, the noise was actually known to drive people crazy, cause them to be nauseous. Um, so the noise is no joke. It's very intense. And when it goes all day and just doesn't stop and there's no reprieve, you can only imagine. So these Europeans, we actually know this because they kept detailed journals of their terrible experiences. So yes, that loudness, not a joke, guys. African cicada is the loudest one at 107 decibels. And of course, the American cicada, 106 decibels. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our breed of the week. This week's breed of the week is the miniature schnauzer. The miniature schnauzer, they are a member of the terrier group, and they come in weighing from 11 to 20 pounds. Miniature schnauzers are a small but robust dog that packs a lot of personality into a small package. With their bushy beards, they do tend to have that charming, human-like quality about them, and these guys were bred down from the standard schnauzer cousins. Yes, the miniature schnauzer really is a breed unto themselves, though. They are confident, they're good with kids, and they can make a wonderful family pet. They can adapt well to apartment living, but they can also excel at patrolling the perimeter of a farm. Either way, they need a good amount of exercise, always getting in their daily walks, yes. They are smart little dogs, and they can do well at a variety of tasks, such as obedience, agility, and trick training too. They can be a little hard-headed at times, so of course, consistent and firm training are a must. They are terriers, after all. (laughs) Yes, the miniature schnauzer is a relatively healthy breed, but they can be susceptible to a few things such as cataracts, hyperlipidemia, pancreatitis, liver shunts, and urinary stones. Kept in good health, though, the miniature schnauzer can live to be from 12 to 15 years old. The origin of the miniature schnauzer can be associated with the origin of the standard schnauzer. The standard schnauzer dates back to at least the 15th century, and German farmers began the process of actually breeding down the size of the schnauzer to make it a fearless and ideal ratting dog to work on farms and in barns. 
and this led to the miniature Schnauzer being put into the terrier group with other champion ratting dogs. But the miniature Schnauzer has almost no British blood. Now, the vast majority of terriers were actually developed in the British Isles. The few British breeds, uh, excuse me, few terrier breeds that were created outside of Britain, Rat Terrier and Sesky Terrier, for example, they were created by crossing existing British breeds. Now, the miniature Schnauzer is purely a product of continental breeding stock, owing their origin, of course, to that standard Schnauzer, the Affenpinscher, and the Poodle as well. In German, he is known as the Schwergschnauzer, meaning dwarf. Yes, the earliest record of the miniature Schnauzer was a black female named Findel, born in 1888. After World War I, the miniature Schnauzer gained popularity in Europe and the United States, and they still to this day consistently rank in the top 20 most popular dog breeds. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Stella from Knoxville, Tennessee. Stella says, My dog is a female golden retriever who has always had some skin issues her whole life. But the hot spots are the worst. They seem to pop up randomly and I have a hard time keeping them under control. Is there anything I can do to help? You know, hot spots stink. Oh man, aren't they the worst? You know, like I, I part of it is it's a luck of the draw. Some goldens, you know, you just genetically maybe isn't the best line that's been bred, and they, they've got health issues and health concerns. I'll be, you know, I'll be honest. My 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 male golden retriever, um, who we, you know, we just lost him a little over a month ago. It's still tough, um, but he he always had a lot of skin issues. I can I can very much relate to you, Stella, because he always had skin issues, or his ears were always out of control, and uh, he he got hot spots, same kind of thing, randomly and at times. And sometimes that's just it. Sometimes it's the dog, and they're a little more prone to things. Um, but there are a couple things we can try to proactively do, you know, brushing your goldens on a regular basis, brushing your dogs in general, of course, but especially those goldens, they just seem to be so proud of them. You know, and then, then we, by the way, then we go to the other side of my female golden violet. I think she's had one hot spot her entire life and she's seven years old, you know? So sometimes it's the luck of the draw, but anyway, getting back to it. It's about being proactive. So brushing your dog regularly, regularly, and of course, um, you know, bathing them regularly, not every day, not every week, but usually once a month for a golden retriever is a healthy amount, and making sure we're using good shampoos, high quality shampoos, um, sometimes shampoos that have aloe or oatmeal in them, things like that, that are definitely good on the skin. Now, there are also dog lotions and natural remedies. You can go about making your own lotions that are safe for your dog. So you can do things like that to, you know, keep it on their skin, keeping their skin moist. And of course, these are proactive things. Now, once the hot spot occurs, you know, obviously the quicker you get on it, the better. So they make great hot spot sprays. Now there's veterinary hot spot sprays. There's over the counter stuff. Uh, a lot of those natural over the counter stuff, you know, that's, it's the same kind of natural remedy sprays you're going to use for your dog. They have a lot of like oils in them, natural oils that are good for your dog. Like I said, the aloe, even a little bit of tea tree oil in, in minimal amounts is good for them. So these hot spot sprays, some of them are really fantastic. And I've had some really good luck with those hot spot sprays, hot sprays where if you catch the hot spot very early on and you start nailing it with that spray, uh, it heals it up really fast. Now, another thing is with hot spots, while the sprays are good, you also need to be keeping that spot 
relatively dry. Anything besides the spray itself, and you don't want to be doing the spray too much either. Uh, anything besides the spray itself, you need to keep it dry. You don't want to be letting your dog lick it. If that means putting a cone on for a day or two, please put a cone on. It's going to save you so much trouble, and it's going to save your dog a lot of itching. Because, of course, it itches, and they naturally just want to go after it. And the more they go after it, the more it's going to irritate and expand that hot spot. So put a cone on to keep them from licking it. Now, one more thing you're going to want to do, go buy a quality pair of buzzers or scissors, uh, grooming scissors, grooming shears. Of course, please be careful. Use the utmost caution. And if you're not comfortable doing this, please let your veterinarian do it or your groomer. Um, but you want to go in and clear out any fur that's going to be around that hot spot because the more fur that can clump up there and stay there, the more gunked it's going to get and the faster that hot spot will spread. And again, it's all about it retain if, if it's going to retain moisture. That's what you're trying to avoid. Hot spots love moisture. They feed off of it, essentially. So the more you can dry out that area by removing fur around it, the quicker it's going to heal. So sometimes there's just not much you can do. Sometimes you got to get to the vet, get some medication. Look, if it's starting to really get out of control, please don't hesitate. Take your dog to the vet. Natural remedies are great and all, but there is a line, right? There is a line where you need to know you got to call your vet and get them to take a look at it. So I uh, hope that a couple of those tips help you out, though. Next question. This comes from Riley from Buffalo Grove, Illinois. Now, Riley says, how do I get my dog to stop growling out the window at everybody that passes by my house? Well, first thing you're going to want to do, Riley, is exercise your dog more. Yes, your dog is most likely a little understimulated and probably a little bit bored. Um, dogs that do things like this, they tend to want to make games for themselves. And that's what's happening here, most likely, uh, is that your dog is bored and it's just trying to find something to do and pass the time with passerbys. Um, so if you can exercise your dog, take them out for some more walks, maybe, you know, hey, nothing wrong with a little more playtime, supplemental playtime with the tennis ball or something. Um, but especially those quality walks, that's going to go a long way because your dog's going to want to come back and sleep as opposed to look for trouble, Okay. The other thing, though, is you're most likely going to have to address it. I would leash your dog up and work them through that. Anytime he growls, you're going to use that leash to guide him away from the window. Once he gives up on the growling, you're going to say, good boy, give him a treat. That's kind of a simplistic black and white way to do it. Might take a little bit more effort, a little bit more technique than that. But that's the basic gist of it. You want to start telling him to stop growling at the window. And once he does stop growling, you want to reinforce it with food and affection. Okay. But the biggest thing you're going to want to do, I promise you, that's going to help a lot is exercising your dog more because I can almost guarantee your dog's a little understimulated. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Hey, if you haven't left that five-star rating or a review and you love what you're hearing, stop right now. Go ahead and go over there and do that for me. I would really appreciate it. Always going to help the podcast grow. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.